I'm really excited because the name of this message is called Quarantine Gospel. We're going to be taking a good look at a very interesting story in Scripture. And I think you'll be challenged, you'll be inspired, and hopefully we'll all um, just be able to come closer to Jesus. You know, this weekend, many people all over the world are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's really incredible. Um, I, I've, I've studied out the resurrection of Christ and uh, seen the, the amazing evidences for the resurrection of Christ uh, growing up. It was very interesting. Um, prior to becoming a Christian, I understood a little bit about, you know, the resurrection. We call it Easter. Some people call it a different name. But, you know, my understanding was, you know, this was a time that people celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The more I have uh, become a Christian and the more I've studied the truths of God's word, it's incredible when you begin to see the evidences for the resurrection. I came across this amazing quote by a scholar. I had it on my computer, and I thought, man, this is going to be a great sermon to share that very quote. Take a good look at what this says right here. This was written by a, um, a very interesting individual. He is a reader for the New Testament studies, also a professor, assistant professor. He talks about translations, and he says this. This is something interesting. He says, it's hard for historians to regard this material as serious archaeological data, however, the documents produced by Christian, Jewish, Roman, and writers form the most significant evidence. In other words, what he is saying, look, it's not just biblical evidence uh, for Jesus' life. There is Jewish evidence. There is Greek evidence, pagan evidence, you name it. Um, in extra biblical material, we can see that Jesus really did live and die. But here is what he says right here. Very interesting. He says, these abundant historical references leave us with reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and died. No question about that. But the more interesting question, which goes beyond history and objective fact, is whether Jesus died and lived. And uh, today we're going to be talking about resurrection power. We're going to talk about various things. We're going to take a journey into scripture. And we're going to come out the other end, out of the tomb of Jesus. Uh, a few years ago, I did an apologetic seminar on the resurrection of Christ. I talked about how the feet proves the fact. And what do I mean by that? F-E-A-T. F-E-A-T. That acronym proves the fact of the resurrection. F stands for fatal torment. E stands for empty tomb. A stands for appearances. And T stands for transformation. And when you take this sort of uh, fourfold argument, you begin to see a powerful, uh, compelling reason to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's start with the first one real quickly. If the Bible talks about Jesus being crucified, there's actually medical literature that has examined what crucifixion uh, looks like. What's, what's the experience of crucifixion? And uh, when you look at what the gospel writers write about Jesus when he's on the cross, it very much coincides with what the literature actually talks about. Other th uh, another thing is that um, centurions, uh, Roman guards, they were trained to heal people. They were trained to understand death. And so when you look at the gospel story, it's really incredible to see the interaction between the Romans and Jesus. E, empty tomb. Um, I think this is a very interesting argument for the resurrection. And the reason why is because the Bible tells us that even the Sanhedrin recognized the tomb was empty. Do you know if you go to Israel, there are actually three, purported, three reported sites 
of where uh, the tomb of Jesus is. You want to know the great thing is? All three of them are still empty. Um, it's also remarkable that Jesus would use women um, as the very first witness of the empty tomb. Now, we would think, wait a minute, in, in back then, that would be not the greatest argument, considering how women were viewed back then uh, for um, you know an event like that. We see uh, Jesus doesn't need to hide anything. And the fact that he used women showed that this was something so incredible that regardless who the witness was, it could not be hidden. Now, A, appearances. The Bible tells us over 500 people actually saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's incredible when you think about the amount of witnesses that were part of that. T, transformation. What's that all about? You know, when you look at the individuals that saw the death of Jesus, that saw the resurrection, people like Peter, James, John, it's one thing for people to believe something and be willing to die for it. But if this whole thing was a complete lie, they completely fabricated it. It wouldn't explain why many of the disciples who were witnesses of this very thing um, were willing to die and be a martyr for that cause. You know, uh, people are willing to die for many causes, but not very many people are willing to die for a lie they know about. And if this whole thing was a complete fabrication by the disciples, they wouldn't be willing to give their lives. The feat of the resurrection proves the fact of the resurrection. So many strands of evidence regarding the resurrection. And today we're going to be talking about resurrection power. Let's bow our heads for another word of prayer and let's get started with this message right away. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much again for the word of God. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would communicate your will to us, and you would encourage, inspire us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Just make sure my PowerPoint is working. I'll just come out of this real quickly. When you study out uh, the book of Acts, the Bible tells us uh, just the incredible dynamic energy that was part of the book of Acts. People were uh, coming together to pray. When you read the power verbs that are in the book of Acts, baptizing, evangelizing, praying, you read about tongues of fire, you read about miracles, you read about so many incredible things about the book of Acts. The Bible tells us that the book of Acts was essentially a spirit-led church, and it's the model for our church today. But what's really incredible when you study out the book of Acts, you read about these power words, multitudes, baptism, healing, fire, the church, providences, thousands, miracles, the spirit talking, praying. It's a, it's a book about energy and activity. The disciples were fired up because when they understood uh, what the death of Jesus meant, they wanted to tell the whole world. So when you're reading the book of Acts, it's really incredible to uh, just experience the energy that's part of the book of Acts. It's just in this constant forward momentum. But what's incredible, when you finally get to the end of the book of Acts, you want to know how it ends? It ends with very strange verses. Notice what the Bible says right here. Acts 28, verse 30 through 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, nobody forbidding him. 
Now, what's really interesting is that the book of Acts, this book about the spirit, this book about miracles and healings and preaching and evangelism, it ends with a man who is under house arrest for two years. Like, it ends with the most active individual in the book of Acts, stuck in this, in this experience of isolation, in this experience of whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, quarantine, but house arrest. The Bible tells us for two whole years, Paul was stuck in his house awaiting trial before he was to go before the Caesars. And it teaches us something so powerful, especially concerning the situations that we're in. That the same spirit that worked in when the disciples were praying together, the same spirit that was working when miracles were taking place and preaching was happening and evangelism and the church exploding and growing and providences that were happening, the same spirit that was part of all those experiences is the same spirit that was part of Paul's experience when he was under house arrest for two years. The book of Acts ends with a man that is under this kind of containment during this time. And I think the reason why it's so relevant for you and me is because many of us are going through a variety of these uh, shelter in um, home experiences where we're stuck within our house. We're not able to go to the gym like we used to. We're not able to go to many of the places like we used to, to have that kind of socializing that we used to. And uh, many of us are worshiping, um, you know, from our living room or our bedroom right now. But it's so encouraging when you understand that the same spirit that was working in all the previous chapters in the book of Acts was the same spirit that was part of Paul's experience when he was under house arrest for those years. But what is so powerful, what is so amazing, is what Ellen White says when she talks about um, that very same experience. She says these very interesting words right here. She says this, Thus, while apparently cut off from active labor, Paul exerted a wider and more lasting influence than if he had been free to travel among the churches as in the former years. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Nell? You know how I know this? You know how I know what Ellen White is saying is the absolute truth? Because when Paul was under house arrest, while he was stuck in that home, chained to a soldier, while he couldn't travel the world, it was during those times that he actually wrote many of the epistles that are found in the New Testament. Now, that's mind-blowing when you begin to think about that. The last 2,000 years, what has been a source of comfort for many Christians, the conversion experience of many Christians, to understand the gospel has been Paul's writings. And many of those writings took place when Paul was under house arrest. What seemed like a victory for the enemies of the gospel turned out to be one of the greatest victories for the church. And I'm bringing this up right now because I know in our world today, there are many of us who've had plans and ambitions and dreams. Uh, we were thinking about what was going to happen at the end of spring, graduations. I know I'm missing two graduations. We're thinking about summer plans. And because of this pandemic, many of us are experiencing a complete interruption in all of our plans. And it seems that the landscape of our existence had been utterly changed. And we're trying to figure out what in the world is God up to during these times. 
But what's powerful is when you study out the book of Acts, the same God that was present in the very earlier chapters in the book of Acts was the same God that was working providentially, although not always recognized, during the time that Paul was under house arrest. This was the time that the gospel was going out. And many people begin to read about uh, uh, various journeys that were part of Paul's experiences, understanding justification by faith, having confidence in the second coming of Jesus, understanding the big picture ideas of God. It is through the writings of Paul that they were able to navigate through the miasma of theological uh you know, conundrums that were abounding everywhere as the church began to grow and expand in exponential rates. God was using Paul during that quarantine experience. You know, it's very interesting when you study out history, and you might have seen perhaps Facebook links or pictures or um, Instagram stories of various historical figures who also, when they were going through a time of quarantine, uh, use that opportunity to do great things. Individuals like Shakespeare. By the way, when you actually read many of Shakespeare's writings, he makes several references to plagues because during a time that a, 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 a pandemic was happening, or excuse me, a plague was happening in that part of the area that he was from, he actually had to be isolated and quarantined. But during that time, he wrote many of his plays. And you can actually see the references in those plays about the plague that they were experiencing. Individuals like Isaac Newton, who began to really grapple with the uh, foundational understandings of gravity. In fact, when he came out of the experience of quarantine, he actually excelled so fast, he became a professor within just a couple years. Individuals like John Milton, who wrote the poem, uh, Paradise Lost that has lots and lots of Christian themes that has been the source of study for many people who love literature. Or how about this man right here? This individual has a name. His name is John Bunyan. And if you know anything about John Bunyan, John Bunyan was a man who was converted by the gospel. He began to preach the gospel. And he was actually put in prison for several years. Two times he was put in prison. In fact, what's interesting is the second time he was put in prison, he actually wrote Pilgrim's Progress. If you've ever read that book, that's a phenomenal book. It's an allegory describing the Christian's journey. Um, and, there, you know, there's many different audio versions of Pilgrim's Progress. Ellen White actually speaks very well about Pilgrim's Progress. It's a book about symbols. And every time you're reading that book, you have to stop and pause and reflect upon the depth of this book, but he wrote it during the time that he was in this, this uh, experience of containment. Very incredible. How about this man right here by the name of Martin Luther? Martin Luther, when he had left one particular trial, was on the way home and where his life was on the line, he was actually kidnapped by some allies, princes, who actually took him, put him in Wartburg Castle. And during that time, he was inside this fortress. And didn't have much time to go out because people were hunting him down. And it seemed that Martin Luther had disappeared from the world. It was during this time that he was able to translate much of the scriptures into the vernacular of the people. It's incredible when you study out history, you can see that times of quarantine, times of containment, times when we feel like, man, 
I'm not able to do the things I used to do are still great opportunities for God to do amazing things in you, for you, and with you. Amen. Amen. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, I've been kind of finishing up a public health degree, and I've been going through various kinds of research. And uh, I came across research that had to do with how people cope with quarantine situations, how people cope with confinement, how people deal with not being able to move uh, more than 20 feet away from their bedroom. One particular research I looked at had to do with uh, POWs, prisoners of war, individuals specifically from the Vietnam War. And in a particular study, over 600 of them were studied out. What they found was quite remarkable. Although many of them wrestled with PTSD and other kinds of issues, great many of them actually became successful in life. You say, wait a minute, Pastor Nell, how is that possible? Some of these POWs were in the camp. I mean, just hidden away sometimes in jungles, separated from their friends, couldn't understand the language, and treated and many times tortured. How in the world could people like that thrive? Well, it's very interesting. In this study, psychologist by the name of Dr. Nice, he begins to examine 660 Vietnam POWs. And he pointed to men like U.S. John McCain, a U.S. Senator John McCain, who passed away not too long ago. He was a Vietnam POW, former uh, Citadel President John St- John, James Stockdale, Jack Van Loan, well-known motivational speaker. He surmises that age and rank came in at the time of capture, also helped the former captive survive and thrive. In other words, Many of them had a degree of maturity, so they were able to survive what was going on. But then he he begins to elaborate a little bit about their attitude during this time of containment. He says this, two years ago, Nice published a study of former Vietnam prisoners in the Journal of the American Medical Association. While his research subjects reported a range of ailments, they did not have the increased morbidity and mortality rates as did many World War II prisoners. In the case of Vietnam POWs, Many were mature enough and confident enough to withstand the severe deprivations. And this is his line right here. Here it is. This is what it says. They had a chance to examine life's priorities. They had a chance to examine life's priorities. And I said, noting that many people don't do that very often. All the many hours that they were stuck in these cages, in these jails, in these makeshift prisons, they had time to think and reflect. They began to really examine what are the priorities of life. And I think during this time, that while we're under this self-quarantine, I believe God is giving to us this very strange of Sabbath, a sabbatical, where it's giving us time to evaluate the direction of our life, the priorities of our lives, what really matters. You know, when someone dies, someone passed away, someone passes away you love, you know, you just, it begins to recalibrate what life is truly all about. And I think during this time, God wants to Help us to go through a period of heart searching, a re-examination of 
of our priorities, the trajectory of our lives, and he wants us to recognize and understand what is our life truly all about. Very interesting. I did some more studies in people who had to deal with confinement or quarantine and other situations. I looked at prison studies, prison studies, and I wanted to understand, wait a minute, why is it that some prisoners who are stuck in a jail cell many hours out of the day, they don't get to, uh, you know, do the things that they once used to do. How are many of them able to survive in those experiences? Really remarkable. What one study showed in regards to the mental health of prisoners was this. Researchers found having a greater number of spiritual experiences and not feeling abandoned by God were associated with better emotional health. In other words, we don't even know the sentences of these prisoners. It might have been life sentences with no chance of parole. But many of them still had better emotional health than other prisoners. And categorically, the reason why is because of the spiritual experiences they had, they had and specifically the attitude that they were not abandoned by God when they were isolated. You know, when Jesus said that line, lo, I'm with you always, that was like the last line that he gave to his disciples. He adds this caveat. He says, even to the end of the age. He wanted believers to know that there would not be an earthly moment or time they were to feel abandoned by God. And that's good news. Amen. God, through Jesus, would never forsake his followers, whether in liberty or in bondage, full churches, empty churches, quarantines or lockdowns, trials or brokenness. Jesus would never forsake his followers, whether in liberty or in bondage, full churches or empty churches, quarantines or lockdowns, trials or brokenness. These gracious words were meant for us today and now, as much as they were for people like Paul and Silas. His personal presence is ever in the air. And I think besides just a time of evaluation and re-examining what our priorities are in life, I think another key in surviving through these experiences this understanding of the gospel message. And when we don't fully understand the gospel message, we miss out on the, the primary benefit of the gospel message. The primary benefit of the gospel message isn't, you know, you're going to heaven. The primary benefit of the gospel message is that God is still with his people. Because when God looks upon you and the justice of the universe is looking down upon you, He's in your place, the perfect, spotless righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know, each morning I get up, I make it my prayer, and I said, Lord, I'm thanking you for the perfection of Christ. I'm thanking you for the righteousness of Christ. And when I put my hope and confidence in not what I can do, but what Christ has done for me, the personal presence of God is ever so realized during those experiences. And uh, many of us may experience times where we feel lonely and our Zoom account isn't working or it's malfunctioning. The internet isn't working. AT&T is doing a horrible job. Whatever it is. Um, we have the promise of God that he is with us even to the end of time. He didn't say just till the, the end of probation. He said till the end of time. His conscious presence is there. And he is always accessible because his throne is a throne of grace. You know, it's really interesting when you study out the sanctuary. There's 
of something that's really not discussed many times. When you go into the holy place and you keep making your way into the sanctuary, you go into the most holy place, you know what you see? You see the Ark of the Covenant. And you know what you see inside the Ark of the Covenant? You see the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God. But you know what you see above the Ten Commandments? You see the mercy seat. You know what you see above the mercy seat? You see two angels. And the Bible actually tells us that the angels, that their heads are actually pointed down. And the reason why they're pointed down is because they themselves are contemplating and trying to understand this beautiful, beautiful message of mercy and justice. This beautiful message of the gospel. And that's why Paul even alludes to angels trying to understand this gospel message. Why? Because angels truly know how great God is. But only humanity truly knows how good God is. And in times that we're wrestling with ourselves, in times where we're wrestling with the, the, the selfishness in our souls and the things that we had left long ago come pursuing us. It's those moments that we need to trust that the goodness of God, the mercy of God is far better than all our mistakes and our sins because of Jesus. Jesus died on a cross. He paid an eternal price not to let go of you so easily. Amen. And I'm sure you're probably saying amen if you can hear me. All right, let's go to the next thing right here. How about this? This was a very interesting study I looked at about people who are in containment kinds of situations. The Mars 500 study, you may be familiar with that. What researchers wanted to do, they worked with NASA on this. They wanted to simulate what an expedition to Mars would look like. And that would take many days. So they created an environment in which they took six individuals, six participants who were chosen after much interview and uh, through this filtering process. They found six individuals. They put them in this simulated environment where they were not allowed to leave for 520 days. Talk about a, uh, talk about a quarantine situation, right? They were unable to go out. And, and to do the things that they once got to do. When they signed up for this thing, they decided they were going to be committed to this. Can you imagine for 500 days inside a simulated spacecraft could really be all about? But what were the results? What were the findings during that very interesting study? Look at this. This is powerful. In the Mars 500 simulation experiment, Researchers tested what a 520-day flight to Mars in a confined spacecraft would look like. Six men were isolated, giving daily tasks, exercise, meals, etc. Two of the six men coped well and slept regularly. One became lethargic. Two suffered insomnia. It makes sense. They, they didn't have the sunlight. They, their circadian rhythm was thrown off and would sleep during the day. One became highly depressed. Conflicts were high during this experiment with stress and physical exhaustion, accounting for 85% of the perceived conflicts. But why did two fare well while the others did not? Well, what happened to the others? Well, we learned from here that two suffered insomnia. They weren't sleeping well, which means they began to have all sorts of problems when you don't sleep well. Um, one became highly depressed, and many of them became very irritable during that experience. Sounds like many of our homes during this time. <laughs> Anyways. Why did the two fare well during this time while the others didn't? Why, why were two successful 
Notice what the lead researcher points out, that the two crew members whose sleep remained steady were those, get this, who kept to a strict schedule and found other ways to control their biological clocks. The only way to keep your clock entrained to some extent is a regular behavioral routine with daily exercise and eating at the same time. Regular routines of eating and exercise are crucial for sleep cycles, immunity, and overall mood, especially during times of confinement or quarantine. And why am I bringing this up? The first study we looked at were individuals that took time to appreciate what life was all about. When they left that prison experience, that POW experience, they became very successful in life because they understood what life's priorities were truly all about. The second study described prisoners who in times of confinement, who weren't really sure what the future was all all about. They had a belief that God would not abandon them. But this third group, the success took place when there was a daily routine during this, this experience of quarantine. They were able to succeed while the others did not. You know, I look at my life and a few years ago, I developed a quarantine. Or not quarantine, excuse me, a routine. A routine. I developed a routine. And this routine has been part of my life. And I don't really change much except when I have to travel. I have five things that I do almost every day. Uh, one of the five I recently added probably in the last couple of months, but the four I've done for a very long time. And it's this, because I believe that when you have good routine in the morning, the rest of your day it can be a blessing. It can be successful. It can be um, a time where you accomplish things. Well, what are, what's your routine, Pastor Now. Many of us have routines. Here's my routine. First thing I do when I get up is I pray and I do my devotions. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his, and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's my first priority in the day. The second thing I do is I exercise. I go out. I get minimum 30 minutes of exercise. I'm in my gym. I have um, some weightlifting equipment because I can't go to the other gym, so I go there the last couple weeks. The third thing I do, when I come back inside, I go straight to the shower. I take a hot and cold shower, and that's been implemented in the last uh, month and a half. And it's been a blessing. My immune system is up. I feel amazing. I feel like I've been hit with lightning from God. And then the fourth thing I do is that when I come out of the shower, I eat my breakfast. And then the fifth thing I do is Ellen White actually recommends this. She talks about getting a piece of paper and writing down the things that you need to do in the day. And that's the fifth thing I do. And when I do that, I have a clear understanding of what the day should look like, what needs to be accomplished, and a satisfaction at the end of the day that I did what I set out to do. And uh, why am I bringing this up again? Because I believe that God wants us to actually thrive, not merely survive during this experience. And it takes time when you, when you it, it happens when you take time to really evaluate what life is all about, the priorities of life. The second thing is, is this understanding that God has not abandoned me. And the same God that was with me when I was doing all the other things and praising God in church is the same God that's with me when I have to worship him alone in my bedroom with no one else being there. Third thing, having a daily routine, a morning routine. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about um, diligence. And again, my PowerPoint is kind of freezing up here. So what we'll do is let's see if we can uh, get this thing back up again. All right. Take a good look at the. Take a good look at what the Bible says right here. This is really interesting. Notice what it says: Proverbs chapter ten, verse four. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 
The hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful will be put in forced labor. Do you see men diligent in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Whoever diligently seeks good, seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. The plans of the diligent shall lead, lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes to poverty. And I realize that regardless of what's happening around me, that I want to make sure I'm consistent, especially in my morning time. Now, I know many of us have different schedules. If you're an essential worker, you may be working overnight and the whole day has changed. Your day is night and your night is day. I totally get that. But part of the priorities of life, having consistency, a consistency with God, a consistency with your physical health and with your mental health and your emotional health. And you'll find that when you're going through these experiences, then rather succumbing to perhaps the negative environment around you, whether it's people, whether it's this isolation time, maybe it's the constant influx of bad news, rather than merely surviving, you will thrive. And like Paul, at a time that he was put under house arrest for two years, he decided something. He decided that regardless of the fact of where he was, he was still going to preach the gospel. He was still going to teach the gospel. In fact, what is also incredible is this, is that Paul understood this one powerful thought, and that is this. What was before Paul, what's in front of Paul, is more important than what was in front of Paul. And what I mean by that is that Paul understood that he was always part of a bigger story, a bigger picture. When Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, thou art this head of gold, he was trying to help Nebuchadnezzar understand something. And that was this, Nebuchadnezzar, you're more than just a, a ruler. And this dream is more than just a timeline. But there is a bigger story. And your story is playing a role in that. And this was the same thing that Jesus was trying to help Pilate understood, that what's in front of you is actually bigger than what's in front of you. And Paul understood that regardless of his circumstances, he understood that there was a bigger story and that he was part of that bigger story. When John was in the island of Patmos and it seemed that his ministry had come to an end, he was on this island full of fugitives. It was during that time that the visions of Revelation came to him. A book that has guided the people of God, especially during these end times. And when it seemed like life was over for many of these people, it helps us to understand what Paul understood when he wrote these words in Philippians 3 verse 10 that says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean, his resurrection? The power of his resurrection. The power of the resurrection was life coming from death. It was where life overcame the power of death and destruction. Paul understood no matter how much destruction was racing towards him, no matter what kind of negative circumstances were around him, what death seemed to be stalking him night and day, and the circumstances constantly changing around Paul. Paul understood that regardless of how much death and destructive and dark were the circumstances where it were constantly upon him, 
because of the resurrection power of Christ, there was still light and life and power in the experience of Paul. And that is something that each one of us can experience, that resurrection power, that regardless of, again, the circumstances, whether it's a a breakup where it seems like several chapters in your life might have come to a recent close, where it seemed, again, the the plans and dreams and ambitions have finally uh, just come to a, a collision. And now you're there wondering, what is life even all about anymore? And it doesn't seem like anything good is coming your way. It is that time that you need to claim the same power that Paul claimed, that Jesus himself possessed, and that is the power over death, the power over darkness, the power over destruction, and uh, all that the devil throws at us, the power of the resurrection. Paul's words, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection gave him life and light and power and influence, even when he was under house arrest those two years. Today we talked about the book of Acts. We talked about the experience of Paul and how the spirit was still working even when Paul was under house arrest. We learned about many historical figures who during times of quarantine took advantage of the opportunity. We learned about various studies of individuals that took time to contemplate and reflect what life was all about. Individuals that understood what the gospel was truly about and never feeling abandoned by God. And individuals that had consistency in their life. And especially people like Paul, who never forgot that what's in front of them was bigger than really what was in front of them. The big picture, the big story. And each one of us can experience that as well. My challenge for you is that you would take time to let God do the things that he wants to do. God will separate you to evaluate you you to take some time to be evaluate to evaluate your heart god will separate you to calibrate you he'll make adjustments in your life and ultimately god does this he'll separate you to elevate you in the end and that's my prayer for each and every one of you god bless you guys this rest of the sabbath take time to ponder upon the things of god to connect with your friends to enjoy creation and to praise a beautiful creator Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, and we'll conclude uh, this message. Father in heaven, I just pray for every person here right now who can hear my voice. Lord, that they would understand above all things that you are ever near. Thank you, God. Your personal presence is something you promised to each one of your believers. Lord, we thank you for that gospel that makes that possible. Today, may we go out with joy hope of Lord what you can accomplish in us, with us for us even during times like this as we pray in the name of Jesus Amen This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons please visit www dot audioverse dot org